0: Welcome to the podcast, my friends. I'm Duke LaMastra. I'm your host. Really appreciate you for taking the time to check out this week's episode. Joining me for today is a good friend of mine, Dr. Janelle Royster. Dr. Royster is one of my absolute favorite people to talk to. She's been on the podcast a couple of times in the past. She's so smart. She's so highly respected in her field. And in this conversation, what we do is we actually talked um, primarily about communication, relationships, building connection, that sort of thing. And I think you're going to get a lot of value out of it. Dr. Roy Store is a licensed mental health counselor in Florida, as well as a licensed professional counselor in Virginia. She has a doctorate in industrial organizational psychology and is currently pursuing a second doctorate in traumatology. And uh, she does a whole lot of, of work in the area uh, with veterans um, that are su- suffering from uh, post-traumatic stress and things of that nature. She does a lot of work in the areas of mental health disorders and helping people really experience freedom. She's trained in 25, as far as I know, the last count was 25, uh, different therapeutic modalities. And uh, through these different systems of, of operation, she's able to really help people get to a place of freedom and healing from uh, mental health issues she's just such an awesome person so uh, without further ado please join me in welcoming back to the podcast again dr janelle royster well hello dr royster welcome back to the podcast how are you doing today
1: i'm good thank you for having me
0: i was thinking back to the the last episode that you and i did together and uh, we, we talked about some like solidifying behavior. We talked about how we develop patterns of thinking in our brains and talked about anxiety. We talked about just bad habits and how those things get formulated and how our mind just latches on things sometimes that are not really in our best interest and how those things kind of get solidified, but also how we can break those patterns. One of the things anyway that came up in that discussion that we sort of like mentioned a couple times, but didn't have a chance to really dive into it was the area of communication Mm -hmm. and relationships. And so, uh, yeah, I thought that that would be a cool place for us to kind of jump off on today and have a little bit of a conversation around communication, which is obviously, you know, such a big issue in our lives. I think our, our life, so much of our life boils down to communication because so much of our life revolves around other people and relationships. And yet it seems like we're really bad at it. <laughs> like it's such a big part of what we do and we're not very good at communication. Well, somebody like you is probably good at communication. Oh, because you kind surprised. of understand. Yeah. Okay. You well, get your
1: feelings in the moment and you say things that you really don't mean or don't want to say, but you mm-hmm. kind of fly off the handle because, of, you know, the challenge with having social media and us having access to the world uh, is we we can hide behind a typewriter. And I hear a lot of people who are like, I've been bullied online and that's horrible. But at the same time, and my question is, you know, why do these people feel they need to share their thoughts and their feelings with people, complete strangers, and then they read into somebody's statement. So, you could, I mean, you're a pastor, you could do a Bible verse and somebody could tear it, dissect it right down, you know, especially a linguist, right? Yeah. But I think 94% of all communication is body language, you know, when we really? posture and we stand the way we do. Absolutely. Because if you mm. are at a, a gathering, like a cookout or a barbecue or, you know, a party or whatever, and you're kind of scanning the room, you're looking for somebody who is open and receptive to receiving communication, you know? And what's interesting is when you establish rapport, when you start talking to somebody, you know, like, Mm. Hey, did you see the Broncos game? You know, this happened, that happened. And somebody else is like, Oh yeah, I love the Broncos. That was amazing. But they missed the two point conversion. Right. I had this Mm. conversation today at the post office of all places, but if I was standing there with my arms folded and I was kind of, uninterested you know he would not have continued the conversation and what's interesting is I was True. mailing out crochet items because I have a second business right so I'm always crocheting stuff I make makeup bags and face scrubbies, and so I popped up on my Facebook page and I found a couple of my albums where I crocheted and I I had made a queen-size Dallas Cowboys blanket and he said, okay, how much for a king size? So I gave him a price. And I actually sold a blanket at the post office. <laughs> what? But that's yeah, that's, awesome. that's what you do with communication. If I would have been standoffish, or if I wouldn't have communicated effectively or engaged him in conversation,
0: I never would have sold a blanket, mm. right? And that's that's an interesting thing that I that I find a lot. Like I see myself doing it, and then I'll also see it with other people that that I'm engaging with, where sometimes like you kind of will start off a conversation for whatever preconceived, you know, biases you might have about, you know, this stranger that you're meeting, or, you know, maybe it's somebody that you know, as well. But if you kind of approach people in general, I think with those preconceived ideas in your head, like, there's times where I sense myself approaching a conversation with somebody, because like ultimately, I just don't want to have the conversation, mm-hmm. and so I'll approach that person with some standoffishness. But then they'll say something that will kind of like disarm me,
2: mm-hmm. and then I'll
0: open up, and then right. I'll feel bad, man. Like, why did I prejudge this person, or why did I prejudge this conversation? Like, it's called
1: projection. <laughs> You're projecting your insecurity onto that person. That's how you feel about yourself. I mean, we could dive into inner critic and stinking thinking and all these different things. But at the end of the day, it is more about your perception of yourself that you're projecting on someone else. So a lot of people who come in and they have a lot of social anxiety, they're very resistant or they, you know, especially teenagers and, and they're so worried about being judged. And what I find I what I share most with them is they're worried about themselves. (laughs) They're not thinking about you. And a lot of people just assume that everybody in the room is, has a perception of you. So you were talking about reconciling data. We have 2 million megabytes of data that come in through our senses, whether it's eyes, ears, nose, taste, all the senses feel. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we have, 2 million megabytes of data. It sounds like an extreme amount, right? But I mean, like mm-hmm. even touching your fingers, that's that's data that your brain is collecting. So yes, mm-hmm. sleep is absolutely crucial. And when you, we call it reconsolidation because the information is transported from the frontal lobe back to, you know, the back of the brain where it belongs. I'm not gonna get too okay. technical. Mm-hmm. But what happens is when we're not getting sleep, then we have four million megabytes. Then six. Then eight. And and then oh. we get into like hallucinations, and we get into really bad mental habits. So we want to make sure that these people are sleeping, and I think that's first and foremost. People have to reconsolidate their data. They have to hit REM sleep, <clears throat> and even with communication. You know, at the end of the night, we turn off the lights, we turn off our social media, we turn off all the stimulus, and we're laying there with our eyes closed. There goes our brain. Intrusive thoughts, palooza.
0: (laughs) Yeah, right.
1: So with communication, we need to be intentional when we speak to somebody else. And how would you want to be spoken to? So I think that's Mm. most important. If we take that two seconds, hold our breath, and just pause for 2 3 seconds we can change a whole dynamic of a conversation
0: let me rabbit trail for just a second here cuz i cuz when you when you talk <laughs> we'll come back when you said the thing about you know turning off the stimulus and and all that kind of stuff when you go to sleep at night obviously sleep is so important for rest and so that our brains can actually process this data and these things that we're learning and all this kind of stuff right so do you think maybe from a from a technical or or even a scientific standpoint what do you think happens because like i know like a lot of people sleep with the tv on or sleep with you know whatever or sleep with their phone close by or sleep with you know do you is is this is this negative stuff like is this stuff that you should refrain from like is it ideal to sleep in in darkness and silence or does it does it depend on the person do you think it does what, it what depends
1: do on the person because some people i mean you know even having a fan on the low hum you're receiving mm-hmm. data or uh the white noise oh, okay. you're <laughs> receiving data but what's interesting is when you're in that rem sleep period maybe 21 to 24 percent of your time that you spend resting you have you know light sleep awake deep sleep. I have one of these aura rings, right? So Mm -hmm. this monitors my sleep and it tells me like every little thing my body's doing, whether I'm breathing well, whether I'm disrupted, whether I was restless, you know, pretty fascinating. I got it when I went to a veteran um, clinic and I think what happens is when you reconsolidate the information from the day, it's almost like a streaming. So the TV will reconcile. If you're listening to hypnosis, let's say you're trying to quit, you know, emotional eating or smoking or drinking or whatever. And you found this YouTube video that does the hypnosis for eight hours. You know what I'm talking Mm. about? And you can sit there and sleep to that. And that's all subliminal messaging, but it goes because you're... You're calming your frontal lobe that the information isn't uh, questioned or adjusted. It just streams right in and processes into the lovely little files we have in the back of our brains.
0: Hmm. So what would you say is the result? Like if you if you sleep with the TV on and the TV's on all night, because I think we've probably all experienced that where you accidentally even whether it's on purpose or accidental but like where you fall asleep with the tv on and then somehow it's like the thing that's going on on the tv will kind of begin to like infiltrate into like Mm -hmm. your dreams that you're having and it'll start to kind of affect and it's like your mind is interacting with what's going on on the tv even though like consciously you're you're unaware of it i think but Mm -hmm. but your 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 brain is still as you said processing that that information so it's kind of
1: only 5% of our brain is conscious. 95% is subconscious. Yeah. So as we breathe, as okay. we move, as we, you rubbed your lip just now, that's all subconscious. That wasn't intentional because
0: okay. you were thinking
1: a... and that's how you attach your thoughts, right? I'm not picking on you. Yes. It's just, yes. that's body language. It's like, yeah. Hmm, you know, people do it all the time, right? Yeah. Exactly. It's a habit. So I think what happens with dreams is that the brain, his whole purpose, its whole job is to create solutions. And that's why Mm -hmm. I focus so much on trauma work is because the brain, I created a protocol that disconnects those emotions from those traumatic events. And Mm -hmm. in doing that, I've learned that the subconscious is extremely powerful and it does override the frontal lobe. So when the dreams come back into the frontal lobe, then the frontal lobe is trying to process that. And people who overthink, I call it stinking thinking, people with anxiety, they are stressing about the future or the past. They're not stressing about laying in bed with their eyes closed. They're hyper focused on trying to control an event in the future or trying to fix an event in the past because the Mm -hmm. brain doesn't have a solution to predict anything right well, so it's i got to do this thing tomorrow and i got to figure out how to pay this bill and i'm going to do this and this and then they they stay up all night which makes things worse because now they have four million megabytes data to process oh no. the next night right yeah but people don't understand that you know anxiety and worry and worrying about things that you can't change is like a rocking chair you're not going to go anywhere
0: What actually happens there when there's that buildup from, you know, 2 million to 4 million, like what, and then you actually do finally get a, a night's sleep. Like what actually happens there? They crash, crash hard. Okay.
1: So they can't reconsolidate anything. And then they're adding to the data and they're adding and adding and adding, which affects your frontal lobe, your consciousness. And then you are bringing in what happened yesterday and the day before to today. Instead of mm-hmm. the reset that you so badly require. But back to communication, it's all about effective and intentional conversation. So the challenge is, is keeping your emotions in check when somebody says something that may either trigger you because it's it, the brain goes to same similar. So it hypothetically speaking, and this is terrible, but if I was molested as a child and you were talking mm-hmm. about... Uh, you know, the whole thing that they have going on now, like people that are, uh, what is it? Minor attracted persons.
0: Yeah. I'm going to react,
1: right. I'm going to react Mm -hmm. and I'm going to react with some serious emotion, whether it's anger or sadness, but I'm not going to be thinking about communicating effectively with you at that point.
2: Mm -hmm. I'm
1: going to lash out. Right. Gotcha. Because that same similar, that's a trigger for me, hypothetically. And so what we do is we get triggered. Um, all of us have endured some sort of trauma. I mean, COVID was trauma for a lot of people. And so when they're having communications, it's like they almost forgot how to socialize. And we're just now getting back into that groove. That's going to yeah. take us a moment because we got settled into ourselves.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What do you, what do you think is the, the impact of that? Because it was for, for a while, it was like, not everybody, but for a lot of people, it was seeing a friend and, you know, maybe you used to hug this person every time you saw them, but then you Mm -hmm. didn't, or, you know, like I could bring it to the church level. It's like the same thing. It's like, we used to greet each other in a more affectionate way in a yes. more close way, in a more personal way. And then for a period of time, whether it was because I didn't feel comfortable or cause I didn't know if they felt comfortable or not or whatever. And so we kind of built up distance and in, in relationships like distance in terms of, you know, we didn't see a lot of people for a long time. In right. the Actual lockdowns. There's but some trepidation with the that. affection. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And yeah. I, What's also interesting is there's a lot of data out there now that forty per 41% of the country is actually diagnosed with a mental health illness now. 41%?
0: Yeah. Whoa.
1: Yeah. It's insane.
0: Because said-
1: we are social animals. We are not supposed to be confined like
0: that. 41% is a big number. (laughs) Yes.
1: And I know there's a lot of people who need treatment who aren't seeking treatment. I mean, first responders, active duty and, you know, veterans pretty religiously now and their families. And, uh, yeah, most of them have not the, I'm the first person they've ever seen. They just didn't, Mm. they knew they were struggling, but chose not to reach out for whatever reason until somebody else makes them most 90% of the people I get are referred.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So I don't know how accurate that is, Mm -hmm. but I can see it. I can see the depression. Mm -hmm. You know, we are like you said, you know, people are starting to go back to church, but they feel that anxiety like, Oh, should I hug him? Should I not? Are they going to be comfortable? Are they going to reject me? And then boom, you got this stinking thinking again where somebody who you wouldn't even hesitate to hug three years ago, you're now going, are you comfortable? Is it okay? You know? And yeah. then they're like, no, I'm not really comfortable. Like in the, in the, the presentation this morning, there were three people that were wearing masks.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And of course they sat in the back and asked questions and I'm like, <laughs> drag raced, So I'm like, Oh, I can't hear you. <clears throat> you know? So I needed them to come sure. forward, but, like that's their preference, and you respect that. But it's just interesting to still see.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it, it also seems like there's a lot of uh, disconnection, and this might just be the social media component of it, and the fact that we're more we're more quote unquote connected via social media, meaning that mm-hmm. we're able to see a lot of things more than what we would see twenty years ago. Like we were kind of more in our own world in our own bubble you know local news like you know just kind of like the the the, The exposure is alarming to to me exactly yeah the exposure
1: is very alarming i think it's just way 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 too much yeah we we are very overstimulated now and we're overstimulated with the things that are not the healthiest you know spending like for sure Your Apple iPhone will tell you your screen time was down this many percent or up this many percent right at the end of the week. It tells you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we don't spend enough time outside. We don't. We just don't. And I think if we did that, we could reset. That's one of the foremost uh, coping skills for anxiety is to go for a walk at least a half an hour a day. Wow. Because that vitamin D you know, it in the exercise actually helps your brain process some of those irrational thoughts in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. But anxiety is all about the brain trying to find a solution to a problem, whether it's in the True. future or the past.
0: True. Yeah, no, that's really, really good. I, I think that, I mean, just from personal, just anecdotal, you know, experience of like feeling whatever feeling crappy feeling anxious feeling depressed whatever and like kind of getting myself up to you know just get out and go for mm-hmm. a run or go for a walk or go for a bike ride or to do something like that's definitely it's it's definitely helpful it definitely does something it's like this is almost counterintuitive to how i feel right now and i think it's kind of like sometimes you need to push against that thing that you're feeling and, but you said it's actually like when you do that, it kind of, it puts you in a state where it actually helps your mind to process. It resets
1: your nervous system.
0: Hmm.
1: Not necessarily the sun just being outside with the, you know, the elements, the wind and the, you know, the sound of the clouds or whatever, just being outside, resets your system.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Like you should get out at least 30 minutes a day.
0: Yeah. And I, this is something that I, that I brought up. Um. see if I think this connects to what we're talking about something that I brought up recently and I brought it up on a podcast. We're also disconnected, I think from one another in terms of the way that we're receiving information Mm -hmm. because everything is so just for example, this is a small example of what I'm going to, of what I'm talking about here. Like almost nobody is waiting until, you know, 8 PM on, Tuesday night to watch their favorite TV show, right? Like most people are streaming. They're watching (laughs) it whenever they want, or they're binge watching an entire season of something, or they're DVRing it and watching it, you know, weeks later or whatever. And so even when we're into the same things, like if I have friends at work or friends at school or whatever, and like we're into the same kind of stuff, there's a other than you know, maybe sports, sporting events and things like that that usually are watched live. But it's the it's this thing of like we're getting different, like we're getting our news at different rates. Um, we're because we're getting it from different sources, different locations. Like I can go and get news whenever I want. Right. You know, I'm getting like I'm again like watching the the show whenever I want. So like it's like even the 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 rate at which we're getting the information that's already out there in the world we're receiving it differently so i'm getting things maybe earlier or later than than you are or than the other people well you're definitely getting
1: it earlier than i am because i i barely (laughs) watch the news and people are like did you hear what happened i'm like no Uh, no but i do you know like i'm part of some of the police department's response teams for crisis Mm. so you know i may know a lot about a specific um situation or a specific call way before you ever hear about it. You know, because That's I'm true. involved with some of the officers who responded to a pretty bad call or something. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, there's a couple of them where I'm at now. And it's like, whoo, didn't yeah. you hear about that? And they're like, not till Tuesday. <laughs> you know. Mm. So it depends. It depends on what it is. But for the most part, like the if you were watching the national news, you'd know everything before me. Right. <laughs> I just that's a lot of information. And I, you know, yeah. I work with a lot of people and I'd much prefer to do a session as opposed to sit here and listen to somebody give me their perspective
2: Yeah. on an event.
1: It's like just the facts. I, I there's a movie I wish. where he says just the facts or just the facts, you yep. know, like that's all I want. You know, and exactly. I wish it wasn't. I, I wish I wish it was
0: just the facts. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to get just the facts these days. It's very difficult, or it's hard to know. It's hard to know. It's just hard to know if, if you know if what you're getting is is real
1: <laughs> or but accurate. It's also,
0: that there's a lot of yeah. If if it's accurate, if it's uh, but then also if it's you know opinion conjecture whatever. Like it's just it's just hard to know. You know what we're getting today. That's that's part of it. I think that that is something else that lends to a lot of anxiety and a lot of uncertainty mm-hmm. and a lot of stuff that a lot of people walk around with. The other thing is like because we're able to hear everything, like you're able, like you know about the the stuff that's going on if you want to, right? Like not every not everybody does, but like if you want to know, I mean, you can know about the local stuff. You can know about the stuff that's going on in California, stuff that's going on in Shanghai. Like you can stuff like yeah. All this stuff, and so much of the news and the media, like, is because they're reporting on things, like, so much of it is like negative stuff. Like, this is the negative stuff that's happening in the world. And then, depending on you know what news outlet you go to, like, if you go to one of the mainstream media outlets, like, it's going to be biased in mm-hmm. one way or another and so Correct. because it's going to cater to their their base right of the yes. people that are listening to them so if you're listening to if you're on you know CNN as opposed to Fox News or whatever like you're going to get a different thing that skews a different direction and so there's kind of all this like just stuff that I think is you know if you want to go down those those rabbit holes and you want to consume your mind and consume your time with these things then it can really lead to a whole lot of worry and anxiety and frustration and all these things and then as you said before like people get behind these keyboards and they're able to like say things that they wouldn't say to somebody in person, in person absolutely not, not because there'd be consequences. Yeah. right
1: there would be consequence to those statements if they were in person
0: <laughs> yeah
1: especially you know i mean i'm sorry i'm old school i said some stupid sideways stuff like that i'd probably get popped right backhanded you don't talk like that to other people so absolutely And the instant gratification too i think you know i i had to wait to go to school to show off my new dress and get my validation and my words of affirmation whereas now mm-hmm. you just post a selfie and you got 500 people saying how great you look mm-hmm. you know but then there's one person that goes meh and you're hyper focused on that person who didn't really or you're looking for the one person to love your picture and say that they loved it or you look amazing or whatever. And then they don't. And then you hyper-focus on yeah. that one. Like, we, It's just so different from how we grew up. I don't know yeah. how old you are. I don't think you're as old as I am. But um, I don't know. Before cell phones? I'm
0: 37.
1: Okay. So I grew so up in the had... 90s, you know. Okay.
0: Born All right. So you didn't have 90s. a cell phone, right? I got my first cell phone when I was a junior in high school.
1: Oh good lord. Okay, we're done talking. I'm I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> wow. I don't even remember what year I got my first cell phone. It was way late
0: though. Mm.
1: I wanna I wanna say around nine eleven,
0: maybe. Probably, yeah. I mean, well, cause mine was so I mean I was uh nine eleven, I was a sophomore in high school. Okay. So like you so know, maybe I did get one. Time. I had
1: Nextel. I remember that little flip phone.
0: Nextel, yeah.
1: <laughs> Where you had to push the M N O
0: to get to O. I yep. <laughs> yeah. I had this. My first phone ever was this little tiny. It was a blue Motorola. I think it was, and it was plastic. Like it was plastic. Like it was all plastic. Like it was a oh, a, wow. a cheap little phone. I liked it because it was so small. Like back then. That was when phones had gone. They were really big, obviously. And then they had gone to where they were making them as tiny as possible. Like they had the razors and they had like they were making them as small as possible. And it was like it seemed like the smaller your phone was, the cooler it was. Yeah. And then when they created the, uh, you know, when they started making touchscreens, now it's the opposite. It's like, you want your well,
1: that's because we're blind now because we've been staring yeah. at phones uh. for 20 years. Yeah, mine was Nextel. It was yellow and black. <laughs> you could nice. throw it across yeah, the room and it, it didn't break. You know. Yeah. Now no, you those set it down and the screen up. cracks.
0: <laughs> especially, especially iPhones. Yeah, but it, but it definitely just it just seems like there's so much of the way that we're like engaging with with people today is just very like it's it's very disconnected. And and yeah. as you were talking there about how you know that in, that delayed gratification thing, the instant gratification of being able to just like post things online you know, a lot of people will go and do something fun or go and do something different just to kind of be able to to show that they're doing it. Like they'll go camping, they'll go hiking, they'll go like different things. And and really the gratification that they get out of it, it's not even so much the experience of it, but it's the, oh, I get to post about this. And so it's a very just kind of different way that we do things. And and there is a, there is a sense of, of like just the, the way that a lot of people live today. So much of it, it's like, it's online like it's it's more of the online presence than of the actual face to face communication well, you know I and mean, you don't
1: see the people who are like oh i had diarrhea yesterday like you know you always see just the happiest <laughs> moments ever and i'm i struggle because like i said i did you know a presentation today you know i taught a uh, police officers last week and the week before you think i took any pictures no <laughs> i forgot Right. Because I'm in the moment. I love making the memories. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I," you know, I have a lot of girlfriends and they're all like, what do we get you for Christmas? And I'm like, let's go do something. Mm, I'm all about making memories. I, you know, I'll go buy what I want. (laughs) Not that I'm rich or anything. Just if I wanted to buy something really nice or I saw something in the store, I don't want you spending your money on it. I want to make an experience for us. So that I can go. Hey, you remember when we went to Vegas during COVID and I bought you that throw punch donor shirt? <laughs> you know,
0: <laughs> like yeah.
1: that is a memory, right? Absolutely. Because life is about yeah, experiences. I, you got to take those with you.
0: For sure, for sure. Yeah, that's really good. I I struggle with that sometimes. Not not struggle. I don't know if struggle is the right word, but like I kind of have that that battle in my mind sometimes where I'm like, like I. I want to like I would love to snap a photo of what we're doing right now or take a video of it because I'd like to be able to go back and, and have the, the physical memory of it being there like something that I can go back and look at and maybe experience again. But then like I also like there's there's so many times where I'm just like no no phone like I just want to enjoy this moment like I want mm. to enjoy this moment with my daughter like. I'd like to capture this on video so I can go back and see, you know, what she did when she was 18 months old and she was, you know, doing the, and whatever. But then it's, but it's also like, I, if I pull this thing out and I start recording, like it's going to somehow diminish the, the actual moment that I'm in right now. Like it'll, it'll enhance what I have as far as being able to go back and see it in the future. That's when you ask your wife to do it. See how
1: that yeah, works. So that you get, you get still the moment. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to disconnect because it is you're pulling away from that memory and that experience and engaging with her. If you're like, oh, hang on, let me grab my phone mm-hmm. where she could grab her phone. Right. Yep. So you can always have that conversation before.
0: Yeah, for sure. So when it comes to when it comes to communication, right, like when we're talking about like, let's let, just to, just to kind of frame up, um, you know, something that, so that we could you know, jump off in in a conversation here. They say that marriage, I mean, is like one of the one of the biggest problems or the biggest problem is often listed as, you know, communication. Um, that's like the lack of communication, insufficient communication, whatever. And so, again, like going back to this thing, it's like communicating is like what we do, like it's what we're supposed to do. I mean, we're always communicating, I think, <laughs> even if we're communicating I don't want anything to do with you right now, or I don't care what you have to say. Or <laughs> right? like there's there's that because you said earlier, and, and that that number, um, I knew it was a high number, but that but the number that you said was was higher than I would have expected that 94% of our communication is nonverbal. Mm-hmm. So even when we're not communicating, quote unquote, like we're still communicating, I think, right? Right. And so, I have a buddy but, of
1: mine who talks about men and women, and I think this is important. Because he mm-hmm. says men, you know, he's military, right? So he's a, li- he's a licensed counselor and he works under Semper Modus. And he came up with this analogy and it's awesome. I won't use any swear words, but there are some in there. And he says, he says, men have a four pack of crayons, normal to irate, hungry to horny. Women have a 196 pack of crayons with a sharpness. And men have no idea what color fuchsia is absolutely basically our hippocampus where we store our emotions women's brains their hippocampus is larger almost three times the size as a man's really So i get a lot of women who come to me for therapy and they're like you know i love i love the memes that show the woman is like he's thinking about other women and he's like did i change the oil in the bike Like that, you know, he's just not thinking about what she's thinking about. So I have to work with them and decompress that. So they're not you. They don't think like you. They are very simple creatures. No, it's not an offense to men. It's just how their brains are wired. It doesn't mean that they're, you know, they're not a whole person or they just think about this, that or the other thing. They really don't have the hippocampus and the emotions attached to a lot of other things as females do. So I said that to say this, when individuals are thinking about getting married, they're sitting in that 90-day honeymoon phase, they don't get marriage counseling or pre-marriage counseling so that they can learn what their love languages are, so that they can learn how to communicate in, in the times of struggle. So that if he's ha- like Brene Brown, she's wonderful. You know who she is, right?
0: Uh, no, maybe. So Remind she's a me. clinical
1: researcher. Oh, she's amazing. She's a clinical researcher, and I love the way she speaks. I love watching her videos and stuff because she's so effective and efficient when she talks. Like she makes her point, she's done.
2: Mm-hmm. Kind of
1: like Simon Sinek for leadership. But she talks okay. about the power of vulnerability. She's wrote, written a couple books. She talks about mm. shame. And, you know, she just kind of exposes it all because in the 50s and 60s, shame was like this dirty little secret and everybody should feel shameful and everybody should hide their behaviors. And she's like, oh, no, we're not doing that anymore. And that's what I love about her. But she talks about going home to her husband, Steve, and they talk about relationships are never 100 percent. Like she will walk in the door after a hard day of doing whatever she does, whether it's interviews or studies or whatever. She'll walk in and say, Steve, I got 50 percent. He's she said he I think she said he's an engineer or something. So when he's working on a project, he comes home and he's like, I only got 10. So they know not to come at each other. They know to be kind to each other and they know to keep take that into consideration. Right. So when you have yeah. a partner who speaks all day long, let's say, I mean, I'm sure on Sundays you're a pastor, right? Mm-hmm. So on Sundays yep. you do your sermon, you're, you know, and especially afterward, you're greeting everybody as they come into church, you're doing your ministry, and then you mm-hmm. speak to everybody after because you're the cool kid and everybody wants to come talk to you. Then sure, maybe yeah. you have a fellowship lunch and then you have dinner. So at the end of your day, when you're trying to settle down and reconsolidate your stimuli from the whole day, mm-hmm. you probably aren't very communicative because you're right. at
0: 10%. Right.
1: And I think people right. need to take that into consideration. Stop mm-hmm. expecting him to be at 90 because you're at 10. Have that conversation. Find out where you're at that evening. And if you don't have that to give, give
0: them race. Yes. Yes. It's really good. I, I think because, because a lot of, uh, a lot of couples come together, come into relationships and they have these, uh, incorrect ideas that preconceived they're, notions. They're, yes. Yeah. Preconceived notions that their partner, you know, needs to know what you know, what they're thinking, it needs to know how to make them feel better, it needs to like know all the things And it's like, well, if he really loved me, if he really understood no, no. me, or if she really understood me, then this would happen. It's like, it's like, no, 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 like, we need we're different. Like, I love the how you said that. It's just like, you're, you're not the same person, you're two different people, you need to communicate those things. That percentage thing is very, I can definitely see that being very, very helpful in a relationship to say, hey, like, let's just be honest with each other.
1: Well, that's where a lot of emotions anyway. So if I'm sitting there and I say Mm. I'm at 14.3%, you're like, whoa, okay. Where am I at? (laughs) You know, (laughs) and I, I talk all day. So I'm on video all day or I present and then, you know, I have lunch with a bunch of people Mm -hmm. and then I come back to my office or whatever. And I see, you know, I, I have clients till nine 30 tonight after this.
2: Mm.
1: it's okay because I had a presentation this morning. So those people need to be seen. Right. And, you know, come nine 30, I got 0.0001. Right. 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 (laughs) I don't answer the phone. You know, I'm just like my sister, will call me and go, love you. Talk to you tomorrow. I'm done. She knows what that means. You know? So for me, they, the people in my circle totally get the whole I got 3%, man. I can't do anything yeah. else because they know what I do for a living because I communicate what I need.
0: Yes. Yeah, because I think that a lot of times in relationships, whether it's a marriage or dating or even friendship, that a lot of times we can div- – We I think a lot of resentment comes from that place of – having misaligned expectations of yes. of the from of what this person is going to offer you what this person is a, even capable of offering you and when we have those misaligned expectations those expectations ultimately inevitably get broken they're not mm-hmm. met they're not met to our standard but our standard wasn't fair to begin with because we didn't consider where this person was actually coming from we didn't meet did our needs community. first of all yeah. Nor do they communicate. Exactly.
1: So it's expectation exactly. versus disappointment. You expect mm-hmm. you from everybody else. You're always going to be disappointed. Always.
0: Yes. <laughs> so then again, you said if you if you expect if you... you
1: expect you <coughs> from anyone else, you will always be disappointed. And, you That's know, helpful. I don't use finite language. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that is a concrete statement. I don't like always, never, ought, should, must, need. You know, that's all rational, emotive behavioral therapy. It was the first therapeutic modality I learned. And we talk about what's called mustervations. You must do this or this will happen. Mm. And it's like, whoa, what, why, why is that so permanent? No, if I choose to do this, then this will happen. So if we use preferential language as opposed to absolute language, it'll change the dynamic
0: of our relationships yes that's so good one of the things that we we see as some of the the principal problems in marriages that lead to divorce you know they always say sex money the list commitment and the sex communication. Is
1: communication
0: exactly yeah that's exactly where i was going i'm like yeah I think, <laughs> I think i think i think communication covers all of it because if we're communicating properly about sex, if we're communicating properly about the finances, if we're actually like talking to each other about these things, and that's where like this is so he here's here's the disconnect in my brain, Dr. R, because it's like it's so simple because it's practical it's like mm-hmm. just talk about it, like just say what it is like just talk about these things,
1: but the challenge but is, is why do we have a
0: challenge at? yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's, let's do that. Yeah. Cause that's the question is like, why do we not go there?
1: Same reason we don't walk up to that stranger at a party. We're going to assume it's going to go bad. We're going to assume it's mm. going to be rejected. We're going mm. to assume, which makes an ass out of you and me,
0: right? Absolutely. It's what mm-hmm. it spells.
1: And yep. we don't have the conversation in a controlled manner prior to married. We don't have that mediator. Like I said, if you go through pre, I mean, that's why churches make you go through premarital counseling. It's a thing. (laughs) It's very important to be able to have these difficult conversations or have the conversations before it gets difficult. You know, you two are together. You enjoy each other. Okay. Well, when we get married, oh, the sex stops. Why did it stop? Maybe you stopped doing what you were doing to create the environment where the other person or the spouse it's either or too. I've, I've met a Mm -hmm. lot that go the other way. I'm not going to, you know, assume a lot of men traditionally would say, you know, well, she stopped having sex with me after we got married. Well, what did you stop doing that -hmm. you were doing before? Did you make Mm -hmm. her feel safe? Was it romantic? Did you go out of your way? You know, we have that yeah. big old hippocampus and we need to have our emotions in check so that we can do those other things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But men yeah. don't ever, or women both. I'm, I, am i am telling you, it, it's happened both ways for my clients. Anyway, women have done the same thing. They complain over and over. Well, he just stopped. He doesn't do it anymore.
2: You know, mm. we
1: don't have sex anymore. That's a big thing. Usually about three to five years. And it's like, okay, well, Mm -hmm. what did you stop doing to create that space for him to want to connect with you in that level? And I think people don't realize that they have some, we have a victim mindset going on too, where everybody else is to blame. It started with them stupid participation trophies, (laughs) man, I tell you what. Yeah. So everyone else is to blame for your actions. And, And at what point do we go, I'm responsible? I did that and own it because how powerful yeah, yeah. is it for you to say that you're sorry and you mean it and you won't do engage in that behavior again.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I, th- I think we perpetuate a lot of the problems through our own like selfishness, like through our own being in our own world. So like, I think that this is what I need and I'm not getting it. So you're to blame because you're not giving yes. it to me. Right. Yeah. It's but like no
1: that. one ever reflect full holds that mirror up. And says, okay, what am I doing
0: mm-hmm. that is
1: causing this disconnect?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: No one ever looks at themselves. No one is mm-hmm. held accountable anymore. And that's probably an absolute concrete statement too. But I, that is the pattern of behaviors. When we advance toward the social media, I mean, I can, when you talk, I, when I talk to people, I always take in that this is their version of the story. Okay, So they're going to have, let's say I'm speaking to a wife, right? And then it's their version. And then the husband shares his version or I just get her version because he's not my client, right? I have to kind of find the middle because there is joint responsibility going on. Well, he did this and he did this. Okay. What happened before that? Share with me the, you know, Now, what happened right before? Well, I said this. Okay. How does that impact? His reaction was from something in the past. You know, because I do deal with a lot of uh, wives of veterans and military and police where they're like, that came out of the blue. Did it though? Has this ever happened before? Well, yeah, it happened last week. And I'm just like.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: You know, because they don't put two and two together ever, Mm -hmm. because they're in their own mind, and that's okay too. You know, it's okay to be in their own minds. It's okay to be in that that moment, but that's what I'm there for. I give you that objective perspective.
0: Yes. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up because when it comes to. So like you, you brought up, you know, this is something that you have a lot of uh, personal involvement with. So the area of, um, you know, law enforcement, mm-hmm. you know, any first responders, military. So it's like uh, because they're they're working in an environment where there's very intense things happening, traumatic things happening regularly. Also can be very long hours, can be time where particularly in the military, even more so where it's like we're not even seeing each other for extended periods of time. And this stuff is kind of building up. And then it's like, I mean, in those situations, if there's not communication, I mean, that's why the divorce rate is so high, mm-hmm. right? I mean, in that, I mean, the divorce rate's high anyway, but it's so much higher for people that, that work in- That in put on a uniform to serve a higher purpose exactly. than
1: themselves, yeah. And I think yeah. the big thing is when you're deployed, you know, there there is a lot of hurry up and wait. You know, especially Mm. when they're engaged in in Iraq or Afghanistan at that time. It's like there's a lull where you have two and a half weeks where you're just sitting around chilling or cleaning or, you know, preparing for this fight that may or may not happen that it does. You know, and they're communicating with their spouse and their spouse is just raising kids and living life and working and doing all these things independently, you know. And if the individual that is deployed has some un- unresolved issues, some insecurities, some things like that, they could just ruminate on the possibilities. Like I said, the brain is trying mm. to solve a problem. Yeah. So it's hyper-focused and it's accusing the vows of doing things that are against the vows or doing things that are against, you know, their commitment to each other. But I also think, you know, on top of vows, I think we need to have some sort of marriages contract, And we don't sit down and have regular, you know, I really, really love pre marriage counseling, right? Yes. Because you can sit down and you can work through some of these things. And if you're from a healthy, wonderful home, you know, and then I'm from a broken home, how well do you think this is going to (laughs) go?
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're just going to be like feeding off, feeding off of each other. And not getting what we want. So then we're well, like, going to you know... constantly
1: put out my fires. You're going to spend the rest of your life doing that. Yeah. If, if we don't yeah. get what we need initially. And the big thing is a lot of people don't understand that. Well, my love language is this. My love language is physical touch. Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But my outward love language is something else. Acts of service could be. <laughs> right. So you have to take that into consideration.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: because some people think they just assume that their love language that they want. And most of the men are physical touch, not all, but a lot of them either physical Mm -hmm. touch or quality time. So if I'm buying you a whole bunch of gifts, you're going to be like, what the, why?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Stop buying me stuff. Then my feelings are hurt because that's my outward love language. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's almost crucial to find out what that is. Yes, And there's a lot. I mean, you can do Myers-Briggs. You can do Enneagram. You can do the disc. You can do all these other lovely tool assessment. Another one is attachment style. I believe Dr. Caps, he's really good at this. So he talks about the attachment style and temperament. And I love that stuff. i not, I've heard of it, but I didn't really uh, engage and find out more and more and more about it. Uh, until he presented it. Cause it's, it is fascinating. If you don't know, if you have an anxious or disorganized attachment style, how do you think that's going to work with somebody who has a secure attachment style? Right. 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 So right. hypothetically, yeah. because you have a secure attachment style and I have a disorganized one and we're trying to make a relationship work and I'm running hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. And you're like, I, I-, I can't function like this. I love her, but she's nuts. Right. And it's not, it's her attachment style. And you wow. can heal that.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think a lot of men feel like, oh, well, she's got daddy issues, but, you know, we could work on that. Or I'm cool. I can, it'll just bounce off me. It doesn't bounce off you after, you know, a thousand days.
0: Yeah. And it's hard for somebody that doesn't have that attachment style or that temperament to, relate right um, it's particularly when it's very much on the opposite end of the spectrum mm-hmm. um, it's, it's very hard for somebody to relate to somebody else when they, when they have no personal history or connection to that type of behavior or that type of thinking or that type of processing
1: and I hear so a lot of people who talk about dating and dating online and oh she's clingy she's needy she's this that and the other well yes, yeah, she's looking for you to fill her love cup there's a guy called a badass counselor. His name is Sven. Uh-huh. And I always watch him. Spence. I get lots Spence of videos sent name. to me. Yes. And oh. he, he's very direct. And he's always wearing Air Force stuff. I don't know if he was in the Air Force. But he's cool. And he's a life coach. You know. And, and a lot of people. A lot of therapists are like. Well, we don't like life coaches. And it's like. Why not? They got good. They got good nuggets. Take mm-hmm. them. You know. Apply yeah. them to your sessions. Why not? But he yeah. talks about how to fill your own love cup. And he, and. That is when you know you to the point where you can fill your own love cup, you fill it about three quarters of the way, and then you rely on your partner to fill it the other quarter. It's amazing how well the relationship works then because you both have secure attachment styles and you don't need to be needy or clingy because you have already filled your own love cup and you're not searching and desperate for them to do it for you.
2: Come on. And I'm not
1: saying that's bad. I just I'm saying that is there's a lot of people out there who have been brought up in a certain way where they're missing those core components. And we can go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right. Sure. You know, and if they don't feel safe, yeah. they're obviously not going to get to stage three where it's love and belonging.
0: Mm. Yeah. So, like, I, I personally like I won't I, I won't do a marriage like I won't marry somebody unless they've gone through marriage counseling whether it's with me or it's with somebody else but but as long as like i know that they've gone gone through it and had those difficult conversations my my senior pastor he does he does something where when he's when he's counseling um two people in a marriage counseling session he does something where in the first session His goal is to get them to fight.
2: Yeah,
0: (laughs) absolutely. He wants to to see them. Yeah. And so like I've I've uh, I've really learned a lot from him in the way that he engages with um, with, you know, with a couple that wants to get married and walking through the process. But I mean, like I'd say probably 95 percent of our of our marriage counseling discussions revolve around this area of communication because it's like Mm -hmm. whatever we're talking about you know we're going to have the we're going to have the session where we're going to talk about sex we're going to have the session where we talk about money we're going to have these sessions but so much of even those sessions is related to like okay how are you guys talking about these things right how are you communicating about these things what are your expectations and And what does that look like and putting those things exactly So, your senior pastor
1: talks about, I mean, we call that exposure therapy.
0: Yes, yes.
1: (laughs) But the marriage is the client, you know? So I get them, and they're pretty late in the game. It's like we're on the verge of divorce, and we don't want to change anything we're doing, but we want you to change our partner. Uh, Honey, I don't have a wand. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like if I could, nobody would get divorced. Yeah. But it's all those preconceived notions, and, and a lot of people are like, "Oh, we vibe, we get along really well, we spend time together, things are great, we don't ha- we don't disagree about anything," and then you mm-hmm. talk to them three years later, and you're like, well, "What happened to those people?" You know, and then you bring kids in the mix, and you're not prepared to be ma- You you bring kids in the mix and then the kids grow up, they go to college and then you end up getting divorced anyway because you were just there for the kids. You know, what is that teaching them?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think a lot of it is just being able to come to the table with your spouse. And kind of like to, to be you can't do this 100%, but to be like them focused, like to, Mm -hmm. to just to not be selfish, like to not be making everything about you. Because, I mean, because we're so wired that way to have our needs met. So a a friend of mine told me something before, before I ever got married, and, and it stuck with me for a long time, because he had just gotten married. And he was telling me about something that that his pastor, whoever it was that did their premarital counseling told them, and it just stuck with me and he was talking like even in the area of sex with your with your spouse if you will focus on satisfying them like if you'll focus on satisfying your spouse rather than focused on like what i'm getting out of this then it'll end up being even better for you yes um and i think that that is if you're wired my, that way yes right okay yeah i think that that mindset that that concept is something that we could apply to so many areas of relationship, whether we're talking about marriages or, or other types of relationships, but like just carrying that, that simple concept over. Like if I'm coming into this friendship, like if I want to build a friendship just based on what am I going to get out of this? Like, what can this person do for me? You know what I'm saying? Oh, because yeah. I think we can we can very easily approach people and approach relationships with that kind of thinking of just like like ooh, what am I going to get out of this am I really going to put my time into this because is it going to be worth it for me and it's like well maybe if we stop being like egocentric at least like I don't know 50% right like if we could just get 50% of the way there of like 50% of the time, yeah, I'm thinking about you. Like, I'm thinking about your needs. I'm thinking about your day. I'm thinking about, you know, your stuff. And then when it's something where, as you said, like we talked about being like having your own personal resources depleted, loving enough to say, hey, it's probably not going to be the best for my partner. It's probably not going to be the best for, you know, my kids or whatever, for me to like bottle this up, keep it to myself, pretend like everything's okay. And then like I'm taking my frustrations out on my family because Mm -hmm. I'm not being open and honest about these things. So I just think sometimes like the perspective with which we look at this stuff and approach this stuff um, and when our focus is not so much just on ourselves, but when we're able to kind of put their needs, like the Bible says Philippians two, Paul says like esteem the needs of others as better than, than, than your, than your own, or as more important than your own. And it's like when we have that mindset of I'm, I'm in this for you. Like I married mm-hmm. you not for what I could get out of you, but I, I married you ultimately also so that I can serve you and so yeah. that we can grow together. And so how am I best able to serve you in, in this situation? Well,
1: you, you've seen the movie Fireproof, right?
0: Absolutely. Cameron.
1: Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so the book, The Love Dare.
0: Mm-hmm. Think about The yep.
1: Love Dare. What is that yeah, all about, being generous? Generous with your time, generous with your love, generous with everything you got in order to win. You know, I mean, he was working toward winning his wife back and it was all about selflessness. Hmm. But I think in some relationships, we look for reciprocity too soon. And some people who struggle with like anxious attachment, they go all in to the relationship and they give, 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 give. And then when they start working on themselves or start healing or whatever the case may be, then they're looking for that reciprocity. And then their partner's like, hold up, wait, I, I never had to give anything before. Yeah. So the balance has to begin and right away. Because I, I know a lot of people who jump right in and they give everything they got. And then they're like, well, hold up. I I need my quarter love cup filled. Come, come on back. And they're like, Oh no, keep giving, Mm -hmm. you know? And you're like, wait a minute, there's a hole in it (laughs) and it just kind of goes right through. And that's what we have to work on. We have to work on initially when you create that new relationship to look at how much you're willing to give, what kind of reciprocity you're looking for long-term rather than what all you can get right now it's it all goes back to that instant gratification
0: yes yeah and that's kind of the yeah that takes it to another level when you're when you're talking about expectations yeah of like because if you don't make it clear up front what it is that you're expecting from each other and then you just start living right you get used to a certain thing which Mm -hmm. could be bad behavior or not necessarily bad but it could just be an unhealthy mix for the whole thing and then it's like you can get to that point and where it's like I don't even know where we are or how to correct this you or know, who how you are mm-hmm. yeah
1: establishing boundaries you know I love that book by boundaries by cloud and townsend
0: yes oh, mm-hmm.
1: when to say yes when you yeah. you know when to say no it's huge and it's just we we violate our boundaries. You know, I, I work with individuals who are really struggling mental health wise and it's because they allow it to get so bad before they seek treatment as opposed to, you know, getting the resources they need. Right. And what's interesting is we have everything at our fingertips, like use it, (laughs) you know, sure. So look up these things, but I, I highly recommend the book attached. And I highly recommend the book um, boundaries by cloud Townsend because attached talks about the styles. And that's, you know, that was partly how I dug into certain things. It's like, how do you attach? Why does everybody you date fail you? You know, hmm. because that was an absolute statement for someone. Um, I, I worked with him last week and he's like, everybody fails me. And I'm like, do they really, mm. or is it you not sharing what you need? Yeah, because a lot of people do, especially with disorganized attachment styles. They give up everything right off the bat, and then when it's time for them to the, those gifts to be reciprocated back, or those emotions, or whatever, you know, when they're asking for the things they need, their partner's like, "Whoa, wait, hold up! What? What do you mean? Why? Why should I give you anything?"
0: Mm-hmm. if you ever if you ever binge watch a season of seinfeld and like you see episodes back to back and you just see like the shallowness in the in relationships but that's its Excuse
1: intention
0: it. oh that yeah for sure for sure of
1: the show
0: but you see like but this it, thing this like just obnoxious reasons for getting out of a relationship with somebody it's like dude Come on. but yeah. Well,
1: and that was the obnoxious reasons just justify them not wanting to be in a relationship. That's all that is.
0: Mm-hmm. For sure. It's
1: like, oh, well, he brushed his teeth from right to left instead of left to right. I'm not interested.
0: Yeah, we're, we're it's done. Like, we're done. What? You hang the toilet it paper the wrong it direction. A lot. They
1: got to justify it. And I'm like, look, if you just are not interested, it's okay mm-hmm. to say that. You don't mm-hmm. have to make up <laughs> Some absurd reason to get out of a relationship because you don't want to be in one for whatever reason. You know, a lot of people do that too. They make up a lot of reasons and a lot of silly. They do this in real life too, by the way. I have these Mm -hmm. clients, like they'll come up with some stuff, and I'm like, is that really a reason?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Would you give it offhand? Hmm? What'd you say? It's all about communicating. Yeah absolutely i was gonna ask if you, you knew offhand the author of that book attached
1: Uh no i'm sure i could look it up though
0: no we could look, look it up i have it in my um after
1: i got it in my audible and, amir uh, levine it's
0: the amir, new science
1: amir i uh, a-m-i-r-l-e-v-i-n-e
0: okay. okay just so if anybody was you yeah. know listening and wants to Check that out.
1: It's got two magnets shaped like a heart on the front. And it says the new science of adult attachment and how it can help you find and keep love. Oh,
0: wow. Wow. Yeah, it's very good. Beautiful. Well, Dr. R, before we like completely run out of time, what are some ways, even if it's just one way or one or two ways, like what's. What's something that we could do? So if anybody is listening to this and they find themselves in a position like that in a marriage or in some kind of relational setting, struggling with communication, whether they realize that was the problem or not, maybe listening Mm -hmm. to this like, oh, yeah, I guess we're we're probably just not communicating the right way. There's something about fighting, like when you have fights in a relationship where like at least you're fighting, like at least you're engaging, like even if it's not the right kind of communication, at least there's communicating. But it's like a really big problem that I've heard people say this, like the bigger problems came when we stopped fighting, like when we Mm -hmm. just stopped having those dialogues and having those arguments and those disagreements, because then it's just kind of like we're just we're it's almost like business transactional type relationship. We're not really even trying to resolve our issues and conflicts anymore and stuff like that.
1: Well, the opposite Um, of love is not hate. It's indifference.
0: Ooh, I like that.
1: So I think the big thing That's is why the
0: silent treatment is so obnoxious. <laughs> well, like... and it
1: allows somebody's, especially someone with a you know anxiety, it allows them to overthink and overprocess and possibly assume what you're thinking. They forget it's normal to irate hungry to horny. They assume it's the 296 of crayons. So they go mm-hmm. what I cause what I call left. They go left. And instead of staying straight on the path and trying to engage and communicate but they may not have the emotional capacity to have those conversations without a mediator so when they realize that there's a disconnect reach out grab a marriage and family therapist they're all over the country lmft Mm -hmm. you know if you're in certain states i you know i have a private practice i have nine practitioners now yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're in all kinds of states, you know. So you can go to sempermodusllc.com g- uh, and sempermodusllc.com. And there's a bunch of providers on there. You fill out the, you know, you read the little bios, find out which one works for you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, you know, you fill out the the thing and it sends me an email and then I can get you connected to those individuals.
0: Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, yeah thank you yeah I think that's such a big thing because like you know especially when it's gotten to that point where there just isn't communication or where you're really having a hard time like if you find yourself in that place where you're trying but it's just like something's happening like there's some kind of like there's such a major disconnect that you can't either you know you feel like you're you're trying to get your point across it always ends up in a fight you're having a hard time getting the other person to understand you because I think that so much of like marriage therapy is like, as you said, use the word mediator. And that's really what it, what it's about. It's like, like, you just need somebody to, to help, to, you know, maybe steer or direct your conversation so that you can ultimately communicate with each other effectively. That's what this is all about. Well, everything they feel before you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Everything they feel is attached to emotions. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like charged. That's what I call it. Charged. So you have these kind of charged conversations and you're talking about financing. Let's say he likes to gamble on Tuesday nights poker online, but he spent a little bit more out of their budget and she's trying to been talking to him, but he keeps talking about winning. And he has won a couple of times where he's in the black, but not enough to keep going on Tuesday nights. Mm -hmm. So that is when, you know, an intervention person could come in. Or you can learn to speak to each other differently because a lot of people, you know, have these same similar conversations with an ex-spouse, right? And it's like, well, my, my first marriage ruined my second marriage because I didn't do therapy in between, right? Mm-hmm. That happens all yes. the time. Yes. So when you have these conversations and you get to that point of indifference where you're just kind of going through the motions on the daily and you're not really engaging, this is where you need to have somebody come in before you make the decision like, I'm done. Because you married this person for life. Yes. Did they change? Or did your behavior force them to change?
0: Ooh, good question.
1: Marriages are successful when both parties invest. Divorces are successful when both parties invest. <laughs> mm. <laughs> they have, they are both responsible. You know, well, he cheated. Okay, what happened before that? And I'm not saying it's their fault that this person cheated or that person cheated. But if you did the marriage counseling and you learned the communication skills way beforehand, would he have decided to go outside the marriage or not? I don't know. He may have Mm -hmm. some real work to do as to why he has a wandering eye. You have no idea. Yes. Or he may have felt so disconnected and he had, you know, his attachment was not appropriate. It wasn't secure. And he felt the need to find love elsewhere because he couldn't communicate effectively with you or you weren't willing to be receptive. I don't know. It all depends. I'm not yeah. blaming anybody.
0: Yeah, you, you mentioned something before that, you know, there's always two sides. You know, There's always, always. two stories. And there's almost always a there's almost always fault if you want to call it that on on both sides responsibility
1: well, i like to call it i yeah, don't
0: like respons- it. yeah i didn't like the word when it was coming out of my mouth yeah. but i couldn't think of it a, a, but a it's word. his but, yeah.
1: story her story and the truth
0: because yes. i'm always gonna yes. t- when i
1: tell you my version boy it's it's mm-hmm. gonna have some a lot of me in it you know yeah. i'm not gonna take complete responsibility for something because i don't want you to judge me right
2: mm. Yeah,
1: I don't judge anybody. I do my own interrupts. I don't.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I'm good. I am very much fallible. So I've made lots and lots of mistakes in my life. And I just try and, you know, be a better version of me today than I was yesterday and just keep it mm-hmm. moving. Yes. But a lot of people don't, you know, work on themselves enough to get to the point where they can try to be the best version. You know, they're already run down with distractions. They're already focused, you know, their focus is elsewhere. And I get it. You know, he goes, he goes to work and he comes home and that's his routine. And you've created this environment where you're taking care of the kids, you're taking care of the house, you're taking care of everything. And then his expectation is for you to take care of him too, because you could do it pre kids, right? Right. And then when you're post kids, you, you don't have that kind of energy anymore. We're mm-hmm. 10, 15 years down the road, so it's not going to be that same similar. I mean, those well, are pretty traditional examples. I'm not saying sure. it's like that for everybody, and I'm definitely not trying to offend anyone who, well, I did this, or, you know, I mean, people get upset over really uh, small things, and I'm, I'm just trying to explain it in the most generic way possible.
0: Right, right.
1: Because everybody's got a story, everybody's individualized, and, you know, they're, like I said, sometimes when someone decides to go outside the marriage, it may very well be them.
0: Mm-hmm. They
1: may not be getting their needs met, whatever that means, to the level of which they expect them to be met. Yes. Absolutely. So they look for an external source to, to do that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It doesn't mean the person cheated on is at fault. Because I I don't I don't do the blame thing. I like responsibility. Take responsibility. Take ownership for your decisions. But I don't really like you're at fault, right? Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to be rejected, right?
0: Yeah. But sometimes I do think we will push will push somebody with our behavior or with our lack of emotional uh, presence or whatever availability. Like. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, yeah availability, yeah, emotional availability, like we'll we'll push somebody, um, you know, we might push our, our our spouse to lash out and to do something rash, whether we're talking about, you know, the, the extreme of cheating or if it's just the extreme in like an argument of, you know, like you're being kind of right. very like passive, passive aggressive and then you push your, you, you, but you, but it's kind of just like pushing that button because you know how to do it, you know? Yeah. And you technically haven't done anything wrong because you haven't said any like bad words or you haven't attacked the person, but it's like mm-hmm. the way that you're able to push. And then the, the other spouse responds by like cussing you out or by, you know, saying something that's like, you know, you could say is verbally abusive or whatever. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, now you've got something. They're like, oh, right. see, you always do this. And then it just yes. becomes like this thing we can. Well, you said that you said
1: the coin the word too. the key word is you. You need to, you ought to, you should, you have
0: to, you've yeah. always right. Yeah, you always if that's we a good
1: start one. marriage 101 is I feel statements.
0: Yes, yes.
1: I feel upset today. All right, what's good. going on? If you take the you in the accusatory, then your spouse won't be defensive. There won't be a need to because that's your feeling. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't argue with your feeling.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, 100%. you know. And I think that that's a really good practical thing, like uh, just a practical way. What we And we're going to wrap this up really practical way to like, kind of start on that, on that path of just like being able to discuss and have dialogue and have conversations, like start talking about how you feel and, yeah. and make it about you without attacking. And that's that's not being
1: vul- it's being vulnerable, but it's also making factual mm-hmm. statements. So yes. there are that there's that traditional mindset where you're like, oh, I I can't talk about how I feel. I don't talk about my feelings. Yeah. Why not? It's your spouse. Why don't you feel safe and able to communicate effectively? Mm -hmm. You know, I get angry when I feel sad when you do this, you know, whatever. Or I feel sad when this happens. Take the you out of it.
0: Yes. Because if somebody gets
1: defensive, the conversation's over
0: exactly yep yeah that wall goes up and then there's just breakdown in communication altogether yeah
1: well i love talking to you i could talk to you for days thank you i for know we, me.
0: I, I, I yeah yeah no i appreciate you coming on dr janelle royster always appreciate your time and i appreciate the work that you do and everything so yeah we'll definitely do it again for sure thank you all right and uh thank you everybody for taking the The chance, uh, that's not even the right word I'm looking for. I can't think of words anymore. (laughs) Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. Appreciate you guys very much. Have an awesome, awesome rest of your day. And I hope you'll come back for a future episode. Bless you guys.